chapter 8, verses 14 through 24. If you want to take a moment to look it up in your pew Bible. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, God. There's a story I'd like to tell you this morning, but before I do, I want to I thank Scott for, um, for, for his leadership and worship this morning and also for, for talking a little bit about the Appalachian Service Project. Um, you know, I, I asked Scott, is there something you could talk about on Sunday? Um, you know, something that, that makes you glad that Court Street United Methodist Church has been a part of your life. Uh, and he said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about the uh, Appalachian Service Project. Um, and, and, and I said, that's fantastic, because I would love for, for the people of your church family to hear about something that the church did when you were a youth in the church that has, has lasted, that, that stays with you, that has become part of who you are. Uh, I would love for the church to see that the seeds that we plant when we are in ministry with the young Young people of the church. They last and they grow for a lifetime. So thank you for talking about an Appalachian Service Project. Um, Court Street United Methodist Church still is investing in the, the lives and the gifts of our young people. Uh, we still send them to camp. We still help them get connected with missions and service. And last night, the youth of the church actually had their first youth lock-in here at the church in, in years and years and years. Uh, so if you see a, a teenager uh, this morning wandering around the halls of the church, they're likely to have great big huge bags under their eyes. Um, don't don't judge. All right, they were they were up late uh, growing in fellowship and relationship with each other. They were up late uh, in in Bible study and and also other things. Uh, and uh, so be grateful. Be grateful. Just this one Sunday morning, be grateful for the great big bags under the eyes of the teenagers when you see them after worship. So I want to share with you a story about a church that I served many, many years ago. A long time ago, I served a a little country church that was filled with the best people you could ever hope to meet. 
And that little country church had love, and you could feel it from the moment that you walked through the door. And and that little country church had joy, and those people loved to laugh together, and they were laughing all the time. They laughed their way through worship every Sunday morning. They even laughed at my jokes, and you know sometimes that takes a real effort. And and that little... That little country church had spirit. When they, when they worshiped, there were not a lot of people in the pews on Sunday. But when they sang hymns, they managed to rattle the rafters every Sunday morning. It was this beautiful little church that was filled with the best kind of people. In a lot of ways, it was exactly the kind of church that so many people are looking for, which is why, which is why I was so confused and confounded by the fact that that little country church just couldn't grow. It wasn't for lack of wanting to grow. They prayed that God would send new people to the church. They prayed that that little country church would grow. It wasn't for lack of wanting and praying to grow. And it wasn't for lack of meeting new people. It seems like all the time, almost every Sunday, there would be some new person out there in the pews who was worshiping at that church for the first time, checking out what that church had to offer. And inevitably, people, when they came to that little country church, they would have such a good experience that they would come back for a second Sunday and a third Sunday and maybe even a fourth Sunday. But over and over again, after a few Sundays of being really excited and engaged in worship at that church, people would then just suddenly drift away and they would stop answering the church's phone calls and I couldn't figure out what was going on I couldn't figure out why it was that people kept in and got so so engaged with the church so excited about the church and then over and over again we lost them and they disappeared it took me months it took me more than a year to finally figure out what was going on why that little church couldn't grow it turns out the problem in that little church was that they had everything you could ask for in a little country church they had everything people were looking for in a church except for Just one thing, what I discovered after a little more than a year of serving that little country church is that that little country church had a grace problem. Now, grace, this idea of grace, the teaching of grace, this is one of the most important teachings, one of the most central beliefs of the Christian faith. When we use that word grace, what we're doing is we're describing the way in which God loves us. The word grace, it literally means gift. And so when we talk about God's amazing grace, what we're saying is that God's love comes to us as a gift. Grace means that we never have to work to earn God's love. Grace means that we never have to worry about whether or not we are loved by God. Grace grace means we never have to worry about whether or not we deserve God's love. Grace means that there is nothing we could ever do to break God's love or to lose God's love. Grace describes the way in which God loves us. And grace also describes the way in which God calls us to love one another. I can remember when I was growing up in the church, we used to sing this old hymn on Sunday mornings. Maybe you remember this one. It goes, freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely give. If there's one hymn that sums up the entirety of the Christian faith in a single line, it's that hymn, freely you have received, freely, freely give. We give to one another the same grace that God offers us. Our aim in life, our calling as followers of Jesus is to become channels through which God's grace and God's love can pour out into the world. Freely you have received, freely give. And this is what that little country church struggles 
struggled with. They had a hard time with the idea of giving freely. They had a hard time with the idea of giving something to people without expecting something back. As a matter of fact, when people walked into the, that little country church for the very first time on a Sunday morning, when they looked at those new people out there in the pews, the people of that little country church didn't ask the question, how can we show this person grace? The question that they asked over and over again was, what can we get out of this new person? And they would look at that new person sitting there in the pew on Sunday morning, and they would say, hallelujah, maybe this person will start giving a tithe so we can finally pay all our bills. Hallelujah, maybe this person will come to committee meetings so some of us who have been serving on trustees for ages and ages can finally put our feet up and retire. Hallelujah, maybe this person will volunteer in the nursery on Sunday morning because Lord knows we have a hard enough time finding people who are willing to volunteer in the nursery these days. When the people of that little country church looked at the new people walking in the door over and over again. They looked with eyes of greed and self-interest instead of through eyes of grace. And inevitably, what would happen is that somebody would hand that new person a pledge card just a little too soon. Somebody would invite that new person to a committee meeting just a little too soon. Somebody would hand that person a sign-up to work in the nursery sheet just a little too soon. And suddenly that person would feel the hunger and the desperation and the greed and the self-interest. And it scared them away over and over and over again. Until one family stayed. There was this single mom who showed up in worship one day. She brought her son with her. He was about 12 years old. And they they came one Sunday, and then they were there the next Sunday, and they were there the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that. And long after most people had drifted away, had decided to leave, they stayed. They stayed for six months. And people in that little country church were so excited. They said, whatever it is God has called us to do, we must have figured it out because here is a family that has finally decided to stay. And they were so excited about what it meant that they had finally connected with somebody and not pushed them away. Now, I have my own theories as to why that that little family, that single mom and her son, stuck it out where so many other people left. My theory is that people looked at this single mom and they saw that she was so overworked and so overwhelmed already that nobody had the heart to hand her a a pledge card. Nobody had the gall. Nobody had the temerity to ask her to do any more than she was already doing. And so she stayed long after most other people had left. And then one Sunday, she pulled me aside after worship. She said, Pastor, I've got a question for you. She said, all the time you're talking about these summer camps that we send our youth, that we send our children, our young people off to. And she said, the way you talk about these summer camps, they sound amazing. And she said, I would love to give my son that experience. I would love to send my my son off to a, a summer youth camp, the kind of camp that you talk about. She said, the problem is, no matter how I do the math, I just can't make the numbers work. I don't have the money to send my son to camp. And I'm wondering, is there some, some way, is there somebody who can help? I said, well, let me see what I can do. And so I called the chair of the church council. And I had the chair of the church council add an item to the agenda of the next church council meeting. 
I went to the church council meeting. I sat down at the end of the table, and when the chair of the church council called on me, I explained the situation, and then I said, here, here is my proposal. Here is what I'm asking. I would like for us to come up with some kind of a camp scholarship. I would like for us to find it in the budget, and if we can't find it in the budget, then I'm prepared to pass the hat around the table until we've got enough money to send this young man to, to the summer camp so that he can experience the grace of God, so he can experience the love of God and the love of his church family, I would like for us to find a way to send this young man to camp, I said. And then I sat back, and I watched the fireworks. They wrestled, and they struggled, and they argued, and they debated, and they came nearly to the point of tears, trying to wrap their heads around this idea of grace, trying to wrap their heads around the idea of giving something to somebody who had no way of ever possibly paying it back, no way of giving us something in return. They wrestled, and they struggled, and they debated, and then finally, after what seemed like forever, they made a decision. They decided, yes, they would send that young man to camp. They would find a way to get him a campership, and they would send him to camp that summer. And they all looked like they were on the point of tears, and they were feeling crushed and defeated and beating themselves up over whether or not they'd made the right decision. I could have got up and danced on the table. I was so excited. I said, finally, we're starting to get it. Finally, here is a glimmer of grace. Finally, something that we can build on, and maybe this little church can, can finally begin to grow. I was so excited. But then, the next item on the church council agenda had to do with mowing the lawn. You know, the church council chair explained to us that the person who had mowed the lawn forever had decided he didn't want to mow the lawn anymore. And so it was up to us, the church council, to figure out who was going to mow the church lawn all summer. And then the church council chair sat back and we all pondered our dilemma for a moment. And maybe you can see Maybe you can see where this is going. As I sat there and watched, I suddenly saw a light bulb go off over the head of the church treasurer. And he leaned forward and he slapped his hand on the table and he said, I've got it. He said, why don't we tell that young man that we will send him to camp if, if he will mow the church lawn for the rest of the summer. And they all high-fived and smiled and patted each other on the back because they had solved two problems. They had killed two birds with one stone. And meanwhile, down at the other end of the table, my heart was breaking because they were so close. They were almost there just for a second, just for one moment. They had a glimmer of the grace it takes to really make a church be a church. And then just like that, they let it slip away. They took it back. They let it go. They went back. They went back to being almost Christian. That expression, almost Christian, goes back to a sermon that was preached almost 300 years ago by John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement. Almost 300 years ago, John Wesley preached a sermon he called The Almost Christian. And in that sermon, he talked about what he saw when he looked around the church in those days. He said, what we have right now is a situation in which we have a lot of almost churches that are filled with almost Christians. And then he described what he meant when he talked about the almost Christian. He said an almost Christian is a really good and decent person. An almost Christian is exactly the kind of person you want to have as your neighbor. 
And almost, almost Christian cares about doing what is right, and almost Christian cares about justice. They never miss a Sunday of worship. They tithe. They study the Bible. They do good works all day long. And almost Christian has got everything it takes to be an authentic follower of Jesus except for these two things. An almost Christian lacks the overwhelming and all-consuming love of neighbor that causes us to pour ourselves out, to pour out God's love and grace for one another. And the almost Christian lacks the faith, the trust in God it takes to actually show and pour out that grace. An almost Christian has got everything on the checklist, everything you could ever hope for in a follower of Jesus, except for love of neighbor and trust in God. John Wesley said, I confess, I spent most of my life as an almost Christian. And he said, without the love of neighbor and without a deep trust in God that gives us the courage it takes to actually show grace, we will never be more than almost Christian." In this morning's scripture reading, we have the story of one of the most famous almost Christians in the whole of the Bible. Now, last Sunday morning, we had a great big Pentecost celebration here at Court Street United Methodist Church, and we told the story of the things that happened on the day of Pentecost. We told the story about how God poured out the Holy Spirit on the apostles, sent them out into the streets to share the good news of God's love in Jesus with people of every language, people of every nation. Today, we pick up the story of the book of Acts just a few chapters later. As we pick up the story in the book of Acts today, we can see that the church is beginning to grow. The church is beginning beginning to move. The apostles have now left the city of Jerusalem and they are going into other regions. They are going to other places and they are sharing with the people they meet. They are sharing the good news of God's love in Jesus. In today's scripture reading, some of the apostles go to the land of Samaria and they share with the Samaritans the good news of God's love. And the Samaritans are hungry for the good news of God's love. And they believe in Jesus. And they ask to be baptized. And they are baptized by the dozen. They are baptized by the hundred, including this man named Simon, Simon Magus. Now, Simon was a big deal in the land of Samaria. Simon was a major celebrity in the land of Samaria. The word magus means magician or wizard. Simon was David Copperfield before there was a David Copperfield. Simon was David Blaine before there was David Blaine. Simon was someone who was famous for these magic shows that he would put on. He would perform what seemed like miracles and signs and wonders, and people would be left awestruck and confounded. And Simon had a really good gig. He was basically like headlining Las Vegas. Vegas in Samaria. He was a big deal, a major celebrity. People looked at Simon and they said he must have some kind of a divine power. As a matter of fact, that's what people called him. They called him, his nickname was the power of God. He would come walking down the street and people would say, here comes Simon. Here comes the power of God. But then the apostles showed up and Simon watched what they were doing. He watched as they laid hands on people and the power of God's Holy Spirit flowed through them and it healed people's bodies and it transformed their lives. Simon saw what the apostles were doing and he said, that's real power. He said, that's no magic trick. That is power beyond anything I've ever been able to show people, power beyond anything I have ever experienced. And Simon came to believe in Jesus. He too was baptized. He was converted to the Christian faith and he became a super disciple. He followed the apostles around everywhere they went. 
He assisted them in their ministry. He took notes when they preached their sermons. He became, as far as anyone could tell, he became the number one follower of Jesus in all of the land of Samaria. But what people couldn't see, what people didn't know, was what was happening in Simon's heart. Because there was one part of his old self that lingered on. There was one part of the old Simon that just couldn't let go. And that part of the old Simon that just wouldn't quit was the part that looked at the world through the eyes of greed and self-interest. And as Simon watched the apostles working their wonders, as he watched them laying hands on people and pouring out the power of God's Holy Spirit, Simon over and over again thought, man, if I could do that, I would be an even bigger deal than I was before. If I had the kind of power that these apostles have, then I wouldn't just be playing shows in Samaria. I could tour the whole of the Roman Empire. I could perform in front of emperors and kings. I would have fame and wealth beyond my wildest dreams if only I had the power that those apostles have and finally he just couldn't help it anymore he watched as closely as he could but he just couldn't figure out how they were doing what they were doing and so finally one day he pulled the apostles aside after a long day of teaching and healing and he said listen he said I want to be able to do what you do I have watched you lay hands on people and I have watched the power of the Holy Spirit flow through you into people and I want to be able to do that and I am willing to pay whatever it takes. I am willing to give you anything you ask. If only you will teach me how to do what you will do. If only you will give me this power that you have. Simon thought he was entering a negotiation. and He was shocked at the way the apostles responded. The apostles, they looked at Simon and they said, may your silver perish with you. Your heart is not right before God. Get down on your knees and repent and pray that God will forgive you, that you may not perish in the wickedness and the bitterness of your own heart. And Simon looked at the apostles and he said, oh, pray for me that I might not perish in the way that you have said. And that's the last we hear of Simon. That's it. That's the end of the story. Nowhere else in the rest of the Bible does Simon ever get mentioned. We don't know what happened to Simon after that day. We don't know if he repented and became an evangelist. We don't know if he went back to his old life of doing magic tricks. We don't know what happened to Simon. The Bible, the book of Acts, leaves us hanging. The Bible does that sometimes. And when that happens, when the Bible leaves us hanging in that way, it's almost always a sign from God. It's almost always God's way of saying to us, you know, this story's not really about Simon, right? You know, the important question here is not what decision did Simon make? What did Simon choose? The question that matters is what decision are you going to make? What are you going to choose? What will the world see when it looks at the church in your time? Will the church world see a church that looks looks at people through the eyes of greed and self-interest? When the world looks at the church, is it going to see a business that only cares about growing because we got to pay the bills to keep the lights on? When people look at the church, are they going to see a greedy and self-interested institution that's willing to sell its soul in order to gain influence and political power while the people Jesus spent the most time with get left behind in the literal dust? 
when the world looks at the church, are they going to see the spirit of Simon the magician? Or are they going to see people who walk through this world singing freely, freely, you have received, freely, freely give? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks today for confronting us with this story. We give you thanks for holding up a mirror to the church today and speaking hard words and hard truths to our hearts. God, we pray that you would give us the courage to examine ourselves even more deeply, to ask the question, do we truly love our neighbors? Do we trust in you enough to let go of the things of this world and show them grace? God, we pray that these people, that this church might become a conduit of your love, a channel of your grace in this community and in this world. In Jesus we pray. Amen.